Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Westside, good morning Battersea, good morning all those online, welcome to everybody in the room as well. Andrea's giving a wave to everybody at other sites as well. Um, my name is Viv, well Vivian actually, Vivian Margaret if you want the full pronunciation and um, together with Steve I have the absolute privilege of leading Vineyard 61 Church. Um, this is our last episode, big sigh, um, in our series on 1 Peter. And I've loved it, the various themes that have run through every, every week and the overriding theme of how can we live and remain faithful to God while we're living in opposing culture. And we really need this help, don't we? Um, I'm reminded of the choice that Mike put to us at the beginning of the series where he said, do we assimilate and become like, us, like the surrounding culture? Which, uh, or, or do we separate from the culture? Do we become like a holy huddle? Do we like, but, or, or, third choice, which I think is the only choice he actually gave us, was do we become a holy presence where we find ourselves present in the world, in the culture to which, wherever we are, but we, we are holy and we embody the culture of the heavenly kingdom? Uh, or as Andy said last week, do we, are we ambassadors or are we just tourists passing through? And so as I land this series, there's a really hefty, hefty chunk of scripture. Um, do bear this in mind as we read it today. How do we become a holy presence in our culture? So I'd like to invite the lovely Esther to come and read these verses from 1 Peter. Cool. Um, it's a very long passage, so bear with me. Um, but if you guys have your Bibles, um, we're in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 1 Peter 5, verse 14. Um, so follow along. I think it should be on the screen as well. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrusted it to you, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that it is the true, this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you, to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Amazing. Thanks, Esther. That was a large chunk. Isn't it just so rich, the Bible? It's just, there's so much in there, and there's so much to cover that I'm really not going to be able to do it justice this morning. And so I'm actually going to camp out in a few verses, so please forgive me. But I love the way that this, this starts, this passage that we read starts with, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. When suffering occurs, it can offer confuse and baffle us. And it can so easily put us off track. And we may, we may ask, you know, did I do something wrong? Is God trying to test me? What is, he, what is, what is, what is actually happening? But I love the pragmatism of Peter here where he literally says, don't be surprised as though something strange was happening to you. The reality is, is that we live in a fallen world. And events just do not occur justly or fairly or proportionally. It's just, that's the reality of the world that we live in. The other element to this is found further on in chapter 5. And this is where I'm going to camp out today. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And we actually don't really talk often about the the devil. I know Mike referenced it a few uh, weeks ago in, in, in Jesus in the Wilderness. But let's start with the obvious. There is a devil that's obvious, isn't it? And um, in the Bible, the terms or the pictures for the devil are actually really horrifying. Roaring lion looking for someone to devour, the accuser, the tempter, the destroyer, the strong man, the god of this world, the great red dragon who deceives the whole world, the ancient serpent who leads the whole world astray, the father of lies, or a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's very clear that the Bible talks about the devil as a supernatural personal being of tremendous evil and power. 
But we immediately run up against this problem, don't we? That if I was, uh, if I was to ask you to draw a picture of the devil right now, I imagine it would be more along the lines of a comic figure with a little red, uh, you know, little top hat, little pitchforks, um, a, a pitchfork and little horns coming out of his head. I, I actually Googled the devil and uh, looked at images, and this is what my Google search was full of. Literally hundreds of images of pictures like this. Oh, not that one. Oh, and that's, that's a pretty good one, actually, as well. Oh, we haven't got that. Anyway, you can imagine, imagine, if you were to draw a picture of the devil, you can imagine what that might look like. So it's basically not the same idea that the, the Bible gives us. And this modern world basically likes to ridicule, ridicule the very nature of the devil. I've recently reread C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. And it's just a brilliant satirical book written from the perspective of Screwtape, who is an assistant to the devil. And it kind of goes through what could be happening in the sort of the supernatural world. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend reading it. Just sort of opens your mind to what actually could be going on. Um, and he says in the introduction, there are two equal and opposite er uh, errors in which in into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So either overbelief or underbelief. And he says the two opposing views that people either have this kind of unhealthy fear where they see the devil behind everything. You know, when they think of the devil, they're always afraid. They're doing exorcisms on anything that moves. I think we probably all know people like that. Um, you know, where, where they see demons behind everything, under every cushion. And the reality is that that, gives actually, that actually gives the devil way, way too much power and too much credit. But on the other hand, there's this underbelief. And I think this is far more rife in our Western culture. Um, it's more like fairy tale sort of stuff. Kaiser Soze, played by Kevin Spacey in The Usual Suspects, said that nobody believed he was real. That was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And the reality is, is that we are here on earth, living in exile, and we are in a war. And in this ongoing war, harm is a very real possibility. Spiritual, mental, emotional, physical harm. Followers of Jesus are not immune. We bleed red. We suffer and we die along with the rest of humanity. We're vulnerable to temptation and deceit. And though we know the ultimate story ends well, while we're here on earth, we are warned to stay alert and of sober mind. For the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you think when Peter says this, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, the next logical step would be for him to say, run! But he doesn't. Surely that's the only reasonable advice when you're faced with a roaring lion. We, we were privileged enough to, to be in South Africa three years ago, and we did a safari, and we literally came across a, a, a prowling, roaring lion. And I tell you, the driver was pretty keen to get a move on and get out of there. But instead, in this passage, Peter, instead of running, he challenges us to, to do five things. Three things that are clear, and two things that I'm going to come to in a minute. So, first one, 
stay alert. I feel this is a bigger challenge today in this heat. Stay alert. And um, we've been, I'm going to say banging on about this all year as a church a little bit. Um, but we have to wake up. We have to wake up without realizing I think it's pretty easy just to go through life sleepwalking and being numb and distracting ourselves out of what's actually going on in our, in our busy lives with our phones and our chaotic schedules. It's easy to spiritually fall asleep. And remember, this is Peter talking. So Peter was in the garden. It's the same Peter who fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, his task, all, his, all he was tasked to do at that point was to, to watch and pray and watch Jesus' back. Jesus came over to him and gave him three wake-up calls. But Peter kept hitting the snooze button. Literally my favorite thing on my alarm clock, the snooze button. But he says, are you still sleeping, Peter? Watch and pray, Jesus says to him. And then Peter's commanding all of us here to stay alert. Some, some translations translate it as prayerfully stay, stay awake. The enemy eats Christians for breakfast who sleep in times of battle. Be alert to what's going on. Realize that the, the, the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye to the enemy. The devil doesn't like it one bit when you're moving forward in your relationship with him. And we can be so apathetic as believers, not realizing we're in a battle. And we are naive to think that life will be easy. I feel as though it's a really vulnerable time in the UK where, um, the, and, and just the enemy loves to stalk under the cover of darkness and attack when we're vulnerable. Let us not be naive to this. I know for me, I can easily fall into the trap of thinking, you know, of just like accepting life as it comes, not remembering that I'm in a battle, getting too busy, too distracted to read and to, uh, to read the Bible. You know, this word has so much in it, but I get so distracted that I forget to do it. I forget to pray. I just mosey on through life and then wonder why I'm lethargic in my faith. We have the means to overcome the powers of darkness, but it is not automatic. We have to be alert. We have to watch and pray. So that's the first one. Second one, be of sober mind. A sober mind is a controlled, disciplined, sound mind. And to train our minds to be sober, we have to arrest our thinking. The enemy's goal is to convince us to just entrench ourselves a little bit longer, to linger on, the, on, on that cause for our bitterness, to, to linger on that disappointment that things didn't work out the way they were going, that they should have, we felt they should have done. Maybe, yeah, I mean, I, maybe there's things that we believe that we've lost out on that we just kind of like camp out there, just linger a little bit longer. But as followers of Jesus, who himself, he, he was tempted by the enemy at his most vulnerable. We are to take captive our thoughts. This is an active, not a passive um, posture. And sometimes the words and the actions of others, they can, they can just fuel um, our thoughts to run away. And it, it's often based around our insecurities and our assumptions and our imaginations that just run riot and it doesn't have to be like that don't let the enemy triumph over you in your thinking practice being sober-minded 
Examine your thoughts. Root out the lies. There are often so many in our minds that we're just unaware of. And I just challenge you, like every morning, start your morning like, what lie am I believing Jesus? Ask him to reveal it. He wants to reveal it. And then we take it to the cross. We repent of that, of partnering with that lie, and then we ask him to give us his truth. But again, it's like the enemy has an absolute field day in our thoughts. Did you, did you know that your thoughts aren't necessarily from God? Did you know that? Radical idea. Um, okay, let me go before I'm getting off track. Number three, resist him standing firm in the faith. When the battle comes, fight back. This language is striking. Um, repeatedly, Peter tells the believers to submit to those in authority. But when it comes to the devil, Peter's command is to do the exact opposite of submission. We must say no, we must fight. How? By standing firm in our faith. From the snake's first conversation with Eve to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. The devil has always sought to undermine our trust in the God of heaven. That's what he constantly tries to do. His goal is to weaken our dependence on the Father. He wants us to doubt the Father's goodness and doubt his trustworthiness. And we have to stand on the truths that are here in this book. The everlasting truths that he's always good. He's always good. And he's always on our side. But we have to stand on those promises. We have to de declare those truths and not let those niggles of doubt and insecurity come in. The devil loves nothing better than to use our heartache to doubt God's goodness and resist his love for us. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we have to be active in this. Okay. Got the first three? Fourth one. This is a little bit more obscure, I think, but it's there, plain and central. They're found, this, the key, these next two are found in the two preceding verses to this. And it starts off in verse sixes and seven of chapter five. And he's just warned us about two things, pride and fear. And in 6 and 7, it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And then suddenly, he says, your, your enemy, the, the devil, is, is prowling around like a roaring lion. To, he's out to devour you. And we could be, we could be uh, forgiven for thinking that Peter's changing the subject. But he's not. He's doing exactly the same as the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians. He says, uh, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't have any bitterness, any resentment, because he says, don't let the devil have that kind of foothold. The Bible says a number of times the devil has a foothold in your life through your sin. Our sin, it just gives the devil an open door, gives access to us. And so he says in verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, this image of the mighty hand of God, this image would have been really familiar to the Jewish audience because it was with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm that God brought his people out of Egyptian slavery. Peter wants them to know that the same hand of God that's been actively fulfilling the pur his purpose in your life 
throughout human history is still reigning today. Humble yourself under that mighty hand. One of the things that the hand of God represents is his plan. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful to God that God's plan for my life has prevailed against my own plan. Even when I thought my own plan was better. God's hand is not like your hand. You can't see it, but you definitely know the effects of it when it moves. And we need to surrender to God's mighty hand and get off the throne in our own lives and put him on it instead. We're not built or designed to run our own lives. It's not how it works. And I know, I know when I've tried to do it my own way, I have made a complete and utter mess of it. But as, as I surrender, as I humble myself to God's plans and purposes, it tends to go far better. Not always in the short term, but always in the long term. God is in the long game in our lives. He's in the long game, guys. It doesn't matter about your intelligence or your ability. It matters about your surrender. Humble yourself. I can't do this on my own. I am not enough by myself. It's actually, it's not about me. It's not about you guys. It's not about what I want or what I think I need. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. He will lift you up. He will let you go down low enough so that you know that you need him and he will bring you up high enough so that the world knows that he's with you. The the devil has access to us when we don't do this, when we don't humble ourselves and we think we know better. That's an open door for the devil to have access to us. Lastly, number five. You're still with me? Still still with me at Battersea and Westside? Um, number five, cast all your anxiety on him. He cares for you. I know for me the thoughts and fears that I have, maybe I don't have what it takes to lead this church or worrying about people leaving or offending people or concerns that I have about Abby and Sam and what's happening in their lives. And, you know, you maybe you feel these um, worries too in your family or maybe in your place of work or in your relationships or your health, so easy to be consumed by worry. And I don't know about you, but these fears often attack me in the night. He knows how to get you, doesn't he, I tell you. Um, And this is where we have to go back to the word again. We have to go back to the word and know the promises that are in here and know that we can stand on them. And this passage is one of those brilliant ones that gets to the heart of it. When anxiety attacks, Let it drive you to seek God, to pray, to trust his mighty hand. It says, cast all your anxiety. And remember, Peter was a fisherman. And I wonder, was he picturing casting the nets to the other side of the boat when Jesus told him to? Was that what he was picturing when he was saying this? And when he cast the net to the other side, cast all your anxiety on him, he cares for you. He's like you know what? We've done it our way. We fished all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, I'm going to cast my net on the other side. I've been trying to do this my way. I've been trying to handle it on my own, but I'm going to cast my net on the other side. And these two verses go absolutely together. When Peter wrote this this letter, verses six and seven were one sentence. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
I've been challenged recently that I'm trying to cast away my, my anxieties but keep my pride. But the thing about this passage is that pride and anxiety go hand in hand. They come in the same package. So if you insist on doing it your way, then you can expect to feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders because it is. You can't just do verse 7. Like, I'm so worried, God, please take this away. I give this to you. I cast my anxiety on you. But then do it your own way. It just doesn't work like that. Now, caveat, I am not talking about a medical condition. I am not a doctor. I am not a psychologist. But I know that the center of my anxiety is often my pride. The reason that I get anxious is, is because I've got me at the center. And I need to humble myself under his mighty hand because he's the one that I need to surrender my agenda to. He's the one that I need to submit my worries to about the future to. He, he's the one that he can make a way when there is no way. Do I actually trust him? Do I actually trust him? That's the question at the center of it all. It's the question. My choice is to surrender to his rule and reign in my life and then cast my anxieties on him. And I know that when I choose to trust him again, the devil does not get a foothold in my life. And so this is the prelude to, to the verses about the devil prowling around like a roaring lion when we haven't humbled ourselves under, under Jesus' lordship. When we're full of fears about how things are going to work out, we're far more vulnerable to be attacked by the devil. He's prowling around looking for someone to devour. And if we give him an opportunity through pride or fear, or other sins, he will absolutely jump at the chance. And I feel like God is wanting to free people today from that, where we may have given the devil access to our lives through pride or fear or other things. And we're going to have an opportunity at the end for God to free people from that. So just to recap, I'm going to go through my five points. Stay alert, especially in this heat. Stay alert, stay awake, remember that we are in a war. This life is hard and we're called to fight. The enemy is real. Two, be of sober mind, watch your thoughts. You do not have to always believe your thoughts. They're not always from you and they're definitely not always from God. Number three, stand firm in the faith. Fight back with his promises declaring God's character and his goodness over your life and over others. Four, humble yourselves under his mighty hand. Deal with your pride, get off the throne of your life and invite Jesus there instead. And then five, cast your anxiety onto him as we submit to and trust in him. Cast, literally throw them to the other side of the boat. Don't open doors through sin and allow the devil access. Peter goes on to say in verse 10, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're all in this battle together. Look around, wherever you are, west side, Battersea, turn to one another and go, we're in this battle together, guys. <sighs> we all face battles and we need to look out for each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to intercede for each other. 
And this helps us to resist. We know that Jesus has passed through this valley himself. And that our brothers and sisters all over the world are going through it too. And it's a mark of being a faithful community of the Messiah, not being on the outside. We are not alone. We need each other. We need to help our friends and our families. You know, so sometimes you just haven't got the energy to fight. You just can't do it. And you need to ask friends and church around you to pray for you and to stand with you and to fight for you. Because sometimes you just literally haven't got it in you. And we need to let other people know that. We need to not live in the darkness and pretend everything is okay. We need to bring it to the light and invite other people in. And this puts courage in us to withstand the fiery arrows that the, that, that the enemy wants to bring our way. As I land here today, can I invite the worship bands up at Battersea and at Westside and here in Balham? Let's look to the end of chapter 5. This is the promise that Peter ends with. I, I love where this passage ends. Peter doesn't just leave us without hope. Let's read um, at the end of the passage. It says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And I, I, I love that phrase, the God of all grace. Don't you just love that? The God of all grace. Just literally marinate in that one all week. Marinate in that one, the God of all grace. This God will meet us in every circumstance. He will meet us with his personal presence, with his power, with his delivering love. He himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He will do it. That's the promise. We won't be in a battle forever. We are on the winning team. And rather than being devoured by our enemy, we will come through trials, more solid, genuine image bearers of Jesus. That's the goal, isn't it? Instead of drooping in defeat, we are standing tall in God's victory. In a world of troubles, we need not to be overcome. We, we, are, we are called to be overcomers with Jesus. To him be the power forever and ever. I'm going to hand back to the sites now. Just before we worship here in Balaam today, I want to go after some freedom because, you know, in, in Galatians 5, it says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I, I feel as though there's a number of us in this room, for whatever reason, are just not free. The, for whatever reason, the enemy has got into your thought life, into your behavior, into your anxiety, into your fear. And enough's enough. Enough's enough. We do not have to live under the power of the enemy. I feel like there's three areas in particular. When I was praying about this yesterday, I feel like there's three areas in particular where the, the enemy has had an absolute field day. And one is um, disappointment, which is what Julia was talking about earlier. I felt this phrase, which was disappointment, which has led to apathy. And I feel like um, just where despair and disappointment have just come upon us and we've just gone, yeah, whatever. 
and we just sink lower and we have stopped fighting. I feel like that's one thing. I feel there's another thing where I think there's pride where you've put yourself on the throne of your, your own life. Where you thought, do you know what? You're pretty good at this. I can do this my way. It's time to humble yourselves under his mighty hand. It's time. And the third one is fear, where you've actually stopped trusting God. Is he actually good? Is he actually good? And he longs for your trust because he's always good. Why don't we stand? And we're just going to invite the Spirit of God to come. Just, this is a safe place, guys. Do you want to be free? Um, why don't you just hold out your hands as a posture of surrender to God? So we just say, come Holy Spirit. Come with your power right now. Come into this room, into people's minds, into people's hearts. Show them, show everybody here just where they've been believing lies, where, they, where there's been disappointment creeping in, where the fear has got in, where the disappointment and the apathy has got in, where the pride has, has just like blocked their view of you. And you can do this wherever you're sitting, but I just feel that there's something powerful about coming and taking a step towards the front. But if you need to get rid of some of this rubbish in your life, like come down the front. You need to do business with God this morning. God is wanting to free you. Come down now. Come to the cross. Come and do business with the mighty God. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. He wants us free. He wants us out of the hands of the enemy and into his, under his mighty hand. And just name it in front of him. Name what it is that you're wanting to surrender this morning. Name it. Come with your power, God, today. Come with your power and your deliverance today. Just with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, you led the people out of, his, out of, out of Egypt into the promised land. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, you delivered people. God, would your powerful arm and hand come upon us as a congregation today, as we go low before you, as we surrender again to your will in our lives. And let me just say, if you do not know Jesus, this is the time. This is the time. He is so good. Humble yourselves again before him. Let's move into a time of freedom this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.